Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Keller, and today we are joined by Monique, who runs a writing and editing consulting company called Red Inked LLC. So she has experience navigating the job search as a defense contractor and gaining federal employment, and that's what she draws on for her resume editing business. So today we're going to discuss how to get a clearance job and break into the federal space. I know that we have a ton of cleared candidates candidates and potentially clearable candidates that tune into the podcast. But before we dive into questions, Monique, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah. So I thought we could start. Tell us the story about how you were able to break into the federal space by first becoming a contractor and lay out how that process went. Sure. So I graduated from undergrad in 2009, or I should say I stopped going to school in 2009. So my first contractor position was in 2010. It was a short contract supporting the U.S. Census Bureau. It was a short-term contract as a correspondence analyst, but they sponsored a public trust clearance. So it was the first real foot in the door for other positions. I love that. And we talk about that a ton at Clearance Jobs is how maybe starting off applying to positions that are a public trust or secret level. I know it's really enticing for candidates to want to go after that TSSCI right out the gate because that pays you yes. know more money, obviously. <laughs> but sometimes it's just easier to get your foot in the door at one of those lower level clearances. So that, that totally makes sense that you're able to do that. Yes, for sure. Yeah, uh, my parents were the ones who told me to take a chance on a short-term contract just to get my clearance because once I had that, other doors would open. Right. Um, and they were they were absolutely. <laughs> They were right. Right. I love that. And yeah, I, that's another, I, I get messages daily from candidates, you know, how, how do I get my foot in the door? Because again, we, we have a ton of cleared openings and not really enough candidates, but we do have potentially clearable candidates that are motivated to get into yeah. the national security space. And so I'm definitely going to use that tip, target the short-term contracts, because that seems to be another sort of way to get your foot in the door. Basically, like harping on on what you said, you you want to go after those top secret positions, those TSSCIs. And both of my parents were in the federal spaces growing up. So I just assumed that it was easy <laughs> to get a security clearance because mm -hmm. they had it. So I'm like, oh, they have it. It should be easy. Those top secret companies with top secret positions will only truly sponsor you if you already have the experience or have something the government client wants. So coming out of college, I knew I had to start at the bottom. So I focused on applying to jobs that had something to do with writing and entry level. My undergrad was in English. So at the time, I didn't know technical writing was a thing. And that correspondence analyst position really introduced me to that. And that public trust was, was helpful. Sure. And so for that U.S. Census Bureau position, was that directly with the government or was that as a contractor? That was a contractor position. Okay. And so lay out how you kind of convinced that contractor to take a chance on a greener candidate just out of college and ultimately convince them to sponsor your public trust. So I think 
because it was a short-term contract, what I've noticed throughout my career is a lot of companies will target entry-level candidates or candidates that are just coming out of college for their, those short-term contracts. And I don't know if it's just because of experience or family or, or what their rhyme or reason is for. So it didn't really take a lot of begging them to take me, I guess. They just saw that I graduated and they thought, oh, she just graduated. She needs a job. So, and it was a six month contract. It was, it was an exciting contract. It was during the 2010 census that was happening when they just needed a writer that basically responded to all of the mail that came in regards to completing the census. And so while it was an exciting position, I also got my public trust and was able to move up from there. And um, even with it being a short-term contract, I think I was out of a job for maybe a month before I landed the next position, which was a, a true technical writer position. Okay. Yeah. So kind of speaking to timelines, do you recall when you applied for that first position about how long because you know back at that point that's when the backlog was kind of at its high and so do you recall how long one it took for you to obtain that public trust or two how long the entire application process was with that contractor so funny I think didn't the the security process recently change yeah so trusted workforce 2.0 it has these automated record checks instead of the traditional like periodic reinvestigations. So that's kind of been a big yes. change along yeah. with more that are probably coming soon. <laughs> yeah. So I remember doing the paperwork for my public trust and thinking, wow, this is a lot of information they're asking for. Now that I have a TSSEI, I realized that, you know, what I was answering back then was was small peanuts to what I've been answering for, yeah. for my for higher clearances. But then it was it seemed to be fairly quick to get the public trust. It was the jump from public trust to the secret clearance that took a while. And I don't know if that was like during the time that OPM was going through their phases or their changes, but I do remember waiting for a security clearance, a secret, excuse me, a secret clearance in my next position. And that taking a a lot longer than the public trust. Yeah. And back when I was recruiting, I feel like the public trust, I don't know how it is nowadays. I feel like I hear mixed reviews, but public trust went through pretty quick compared to other security clearances. Mm -hmm. And so following that, so you worked for the U.S. Census Bureau and then you achieved or obtained a technical writing position following that. So I know that you were able to pivot from technical writing to IT project management. So tell us a little bit about what made you successful in that. I have a ton of candidates that are always asking, how do I pivot? How do I get employers to take a chance on me when I don't necessarily have this experience? So how were you able to pivot from technical writing to IT? Um, I lied. It's like, I'm kidding. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do that. <laughs> I think <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's it's kind of a, a a little bit of a lie. So when I was a technical writer, I supported I did that for for a few years, and then I got the opportunity to lead a team of communication specialists while I supported the Army that I later called 
junior project managers because essentially we were truly deputies. We were deputy PMs, but we weren't true project managers. So I couldn't call us that. So I gave us the pseudo title of junior PMs where we were the gatekeepers that of a lot of the projects that we were running. And that's what kind of got, that's what got me interested in pursuing project management So I geared my resume towards those types of positions. Um, I was doing all of the project management attributes, I guess, without really knowing what they were. I supported a lot of project management offices as a technical writer. And so it was just intriguing to me. And so I gave our little team the the title of junior project managers, even though that's not what we truly were doing. And that's what kind of led me onto that trajectory of project management. I think what made me successful is I was able to tie in the importance of every aspect of communication into the different areas of leading a project. The ability to properly task down, report up, dissecting technical jargon into plain language, and truly understanding a project from beginning to end made it easier to cross over into project management. My current pain point is the financial piece of project management. (laughs) I could do it, but I hate it. But I really think that the the communication piece of supporting the federal government kind of led me into transitioning to to project management. Well, that just goes to show how important it is in tailoring your resume and gearing it toward what you're applying to. And so we'll get into some, you know, resume no-nos. But first, I know that you also have, as a technical writer and in your career and what you do today, running your own business, you have done some proposal editing. And so on the flip side of candidates listening in, we also have a ton of cleared recruiters that are supporting proposal management and business capture. We have, you know, BD professionals, we have financial, you know, pricing analysts listening in. So tell us a little bit about your experience in editing proposals. And if you're able to give us examples of what made some of those proposals winning ones. In the beginning of me writing proposals, it was mainly recompetes of contracts I was supporting or contract bids supporting organizations that I knew well. So I think what made me a key attribute on those proposals was just having prior knowledge and knowing what the client truly needs. And so I've carried that over now into um, helping small businesses write proposals for different contract bids that they that they're working on is really knowing what the client is truly looking for um and that i think comes with experience in the federal spaces and kind of working with them and knowing what questions to ask supporting small businesses and their proposal work um i set them up with asking the right questions a lot of times we don't know what questions to ask or sometimes we're not even able to to get the opportunity to to ask questions so kind of getting them to think about writing writing your proposal from a standpoint of what do they need opposed to what they're asking for well especially for the small businesses i mean obviously large contractors like they have the relationships they have been working with some of these agencies and so exactly. with the small businesses which i have solely supported small and mid-sized businesses it's so important to have you know, capabilities, matrixes, and make sure that you're meeting all those requirements, you know, minimum requirements from 
the RFP. But yeah, again, knowing what the client maybe is asking in between the lines and what you might bring new to the table. Yes, yes. A lot of the small businesses aren't, like you said, they're not, they're trying to break into the field. So I think it's important for them to have someone either on their proposal staff or an editor to look at their proposal that have that key insight to the federal world and the federal space to give them that insight. Okay, so resumes. All right, let's talk about some big no-nos that you've come across and then some tips to have a successful resume. Yeah, so I think the biggest one that I've seen and I've seen lately in just reviewing resumes and, and conducting interviews, a lot of times people will literally copy and paste the job announcement into their resume. I think the biggest people are honing in on getting past like the applicant tracking system and a lot of these companies' websites and they think that they need the exact either they think they need this exact job announcement or like a majority of the keywords from the job announcement. And so as I'm reviewing resumes, like this literally just happened where I was conducting interviews. So I had a ton of resumes to get through. And I'm like, this looks like a copy and paste. Right. <laughs> so I feel like that's the biggest no, like people don't do that. I think that's what I think applicants think that that's what recruiters are looking for or they think oh the resume will get me into the door and then once I interview I'll you know it'll be different but that's don't don't do that well I mean keywords are important where they're applicable but it has it has to be like your own experience (laughs) exactly that's funny that candidate I mean maybe I need to change the way I communicate keywords to candidates because maybe (laughs) those are candidates that I told they need the keywords and they're like okay I'll just copy paste then (laughs) yeah yeah and I mean yeah I I do the same thing because I'm like take the keywords from the job description but like you said and maybe we're just missing that last sentence of but make it applicable right where it's relevant (laughs) make it applicable yes (laughs) well so tell us about some of your top tips for a successful resume and I'm really interested to hear I ask a lot of resume professionals and writers this question like does it involve a cover letter when applying to national security careers so tell dish on that yeah so I honestly think the most important thing to do on your resume is to be true to yourself because you have to feel comfortable talking to it during an interview or when a a recruiter cold calls you like you have to be comfortable talking to your to your resume so be true to yourself I think where people start to get worked up is they automatically disqualify themselves because they either can't speak to their resume or simply cannot talk about their success and how it relates to the position. So read the job description and put yourself in the position. How does what they're asking for apply to you? And let that reflect in your resume, which sounds harder than what it is. But when you take the time to do it, I think that's what you kind of have to like set aside time to really look at the jobs that you want and write your resume towards that. And then in regards to cover letters, I think it truly depends, right? Like a lot of hiring managers don't pay attention to them. 
So I do, but I do think there are ways to leverage the cover letter language. Like if you put together a cover letter and you submit your application, you can send that cover letter language to a recruiter directly, especially if you know, you find that recruiter on clearancejobs.com. My recommendation is always to reach out directly to the recruiter and you can use, you can just copy and paste that cover letter language from your Word document into an email or a message to that recruiter or to the hiring email that's listed um, at the bottom. So I think there's different ways to leverage a cover letter without necessarily calling it a cover letter, if that makes sense. (laughs) Sure. Super smart. Work smarter, not harder. Like use that language. I love that. And I think where it really depends is if you are applying to a large contractor or a small contractor or the federal government, or if you know somebody in the company, I mean, again, It does depend on if it's necessary to take that time to write the quote unquote cover letter, but I love using it and leveraging it for, for different things. So you're, you're not wasting precious time in the job search. Yeah. I do think that the language in a cover letter is important. And especially if it's a position that you really want and you really kind of want to put yourself out there and stand out from the other applicants and, you know, submitting especially when applying to jobs on usajobs.gov, submitting your cover letter as a supporting documentation, I do think is beneficial, especially if you're putting in the keywords and making it <laughs> making it applicable. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that that is beneficial. But for a company and applying to a contract position, I do think that the language may be important to kind of set yourself apart from other applicants and kind of reaching directly out to the recruiter or the hiring manager that's posting it and sending them a little note after you've submitted your application. Yeah, the follow-up is so crucial. Well, those are some amazing tips on navigating the federal job-seeking process, applying to a defense contractor, getting that security clearance, and then having a winning resume to get your foot in the door and get that interview. For more resume tips, you can find Monique at redinked.com. That's R-E-D-I-N-K-D.com. And of course, for other resume advice, you can visit news.clearancejobs.com. 